0: Um, Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you um, that we can come and meet on this campus and learn about you. God, that we can interact with you. Um, I thank you for your word that is powerful, that is good. We thank you for the testimony that um, Matthew records here for us um, so that we can know you and and, um, just learn from you, God. So I pray that your spirit would be with me, that you'd be with us, that you would be um, just present. And we thank you for this in your name. Amen. Okay, great. Uh, So my name's Morgan. For those online listeners, you kind of forget that they do that. So they're probably wondering right now who is this high-speaking, goofy guy instead of John here. So, um, yeah, I figured I'd say that. So, from the last couple weeks, we did the temptation of Jesus. We saw the Spirit go and lead the Lord out and to be tempted by Satan. Um, You know, we wrestled over the 40 days and 40 nights, different things like that. We went through that period. Um, From that, he went and started doing his public ministry. Um, He began going into Caesarea Philippi um, and began teaching. We have at the end, so just coming, again, background into this passage, coming into it. um, We see that he goes throughout Galilee. We have this kind of like summary statement, the last few verses of chapter 4 where he is you know, in the synagogues, he's preaching, preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's healing every disease, sickness, um, healing seizures, paralyzed, all that fun stuff. So it's a real quick snippet of what he's doing. It's kind of a broad overview, and that's how we come into chapter 5. And um, so that's where we are. We are beginning on the Sermon of the Mount. So here, up here, we have the traditional site of the Sermon of the Mount, um, which is, which mountain, what's the name of it, John? give me that one for me you don't know that's horrible you've been there okay um regardless um,
1: <laughs>
0: he he did take and this is a great picture um okay so you can kind of see i mean it overlooks the sea of galilee here um and this next picture is the church um that is now sitting on top of where he would possibly have uh, been speaking One of the big things with this, this is the famous Sermon on the Mount, right? Chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew is titled the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Interestingly, there's a lot of different scholarly debate on whether this was all one sermon, whether this was numerous teachings of Jesus that is compiled together um, by Matthew. So there's kind of, you know, like we all picture it, you know, it goes up to a mountain, he speaks, he's talking for, you know, who knows how long. (laughs) And then at the end of it, you know, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, there's kind of thoughts that, because there's so much different teaching here, it might actually be a lot of his different teachings put together. Um, Matthew kind of intersperses throughout his gospel. He'll go through narratives, then he'll do some teaching, like a teaching discourse, they call it. So narrative, teaching discourse, narrative, teaching discourse, you know, back and forth. And there's five teaching discourse in the book of Matthew. Um, so we're going to just begin with the Beatitudes tonight. Let me um, read it for us. Okay, so I'll read the passage, and then we'll hopefully start getting into things. So if you don't have your Bibles open, open them up to chapter 5. Um, okay, so it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. So this is a passage that a lot of us have heard you know, numerous times. Anyone who's been a Christian for you know, probably over a year has, has heard this passage. So I hope that we can get some new stuff, that we can get some questions fleshed out. Um, that we can just really work through this. So these first two verses, though, um, so, so he goes up, he says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and then he goes in the sermon. So I want to look at these first two verses just because it kind of sets the scene. Um, I'll go back to this picture just because it's nice. Um, okay, so he walks up to the mountain, he sees crowds which make him walk up to the mountain, and then his disciples come up to him And he began to teach them. So who is he teaching here? Is he teaching the disciples? Is he teaching the crowd? Or is he teaching both? Because it's a little unclear. Like we want to, because it just says, you know, his disciples come to him. And he began to teach them. Referring to them would be referring to the disciples. So we kind of have this picture right in our minds that he goes up this mountain, you know, there's a million people out there, not a million, but, you know, a couple thousand, whatever it is, and he's teaching all of them. Is, is that what we picture, or do we picture a small, intimate setting with his disciples? What do you guys think? Because it's a little unclear.
2: He's talking to everybody.
0: Okay. Why?
3: Uh, because there are people there, so why wouldn't they listen to him along with the disciples?
0: Okay. What if the crowds were too far away or didn't know who he was yet?
1: Um, this is just my thought, like, well, the, obviously the disciples are getting to Jesus. so the crowds were coming to him, he assumed they wouldn't just say, well, and there was no, like, building there, so Jesus went in with the disciples, and then the crowd was outside, so... Well,
0: it says the disciples came to him.
1: Well, but the crowds were coming to him. Like, in chapter 25, large crowds from Galilee, Catholic Jerusalem, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up, so, like, they
0: were following him. Okay, great. So, Phil kind of brings us back to the verse before. In verse 4 25, it says, Large crowds from the Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Good. So, we definitely have crowds following him. Um, okay, that's a pretty good argument.
1: Then maybe the crowds were too big. Not all of them were getting it, but if it, Jesus wasn't like excluding the crowd and just saying, Well, now I'm going to talk to my disciples. Probably anyone who could hear him, and then maybe it was.
0: Great. So, maybe there's some level of the crowd here who can actually hear him, maybe some who can't. Okay, I like that. Great. Jeremy, did you have something also?
2: I think, just uh, to respond to Phil, though, I think that, that verse 25 really is, doesn't necessarily have to be related to what's next just because it's chronologically placed in the Scripture. It seems to me that that seems that that's a better conclusion to the verses that precede it as an introduction to the verses that follow it. 24 is talking about how his fame is spread throughout, and then 25 re-emphasizes that point, and because of this, these crowds called him. And now fine 5, you have kind of a new idea, I think, being expressed
0: here. So Jeremy's kind of hitting on our point that maybe, you know, like we talked about, Matthew does this narrative, he does this teaching. The narrative, the teaching, maybe this teaching is, you know, put in here and it's not necessarily, you know, from verse 425. Cause, and we have that bird's eye view from 425. Remember, we talked about how it's kind of this general, you know, this is what Jesus is doing. It's not real like, you know, on Tuesday he was doing that. You know, it's not as clear. It's a real summation there. Yeah.
2: When you talk about disciples in that verse, I mean, I think a lot of people think you. of disciples with a capital D. Maybe we clarify that because sometimes Jesus had disciples that were way more numerous than the 12.
0: Right. So good. John brings up the point that there, we always think of the 12 traditional disciples. Yes, those were disciples, but there are other places like in Luke where he sends out 72 people, right? There's, there were numerous disciples outside of those 12 so it could be in there. I just wanted to point this stuff out. You know, let's, we're not going to get too hung up on um, you know, whether or not. We do have another clarification, though. Matthew, Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, 7, 27 through 28, says, um, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Okay, So here you have the crowds basically reflecting on, on the sermon. So again, we have, some, we have some different things going on here, but there's got to be some level of people out there, probably more than just the 12, they're coming to hear him teach. Okay, so that's kind of our general scene. Also, it's good, and we're going to see this, I want to point that out just in the beginning with this mountain side. We've already seen a couple mountains, first of all, you know, where he gets tempted, Jesus goes out to a mountain. This on a mountain phrase, um, it signifies importance. It has roots in the Old Testament. Um, And we're going to see like the mountain uh, when Jesus transfigures himself. There are numerous uh, important things that happen on a mountain. So we do want to just highlight that. It's a theme of Matthew that, you know, something important is going on here. Jesus goes up to a mountain, okay? So it just, it seems to go, it correlates very well. Also, yeah, in this, he is setting up Jesus as a new Moses, Um, So this is important because Jesus is going to teach this whole Sermon on the Mount, all these things, based on his authority. And we're going to see it throughout, that there is a, you know, I am blessing you. Blessed are those. We're going to see where he says, blessed are you. This authority to bless others is going to be pointing to him. Now, one thing we also need to do before, actually, that we jump into the Matthew 3, we've got to look at this parallel passage in Luke. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 6. And it's on the screen here, if not. So we've got, because this is another one, back and forth, whether people think, well, is this the same sermon that Luke is talking about? Is it different? Um, so we need to see some of the differences in it, because there are some. Um, so let me go ahead and read. So it says, Luke six seventeen. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who, who had come to hear him, And to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him. Because power was coming from him. And healing them all. Looking at his disciples. He said. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. For you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you. When they exclude you and insult you. And reject your name as evil. Because of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when men all speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So his blessings are somewhat similar, right? I mean, there are some direct parallels. The first one, you know, it says, blessed are the poor. Matthew's got the poor in spirit. So we're going to look at, you know, what do we think the difference between poor and poor in spirit is? He says, you know, for the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is here. Um, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Matthew has blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So you have a difference. There's an argument that Luke seems to be having some social gospel here, right? He's talking about the real poor, like the actual poor, the, the lack of money, <laughs> uh, the lack of um, food. He's talking about people in these situations that, when we think about it, nobody in this room has issues with being poor or having food or water, right? You know, but Luke is talking specifically, these blessings seem to be for the underside of society, right? Right? So what do you guys think about some of those differences? We'll, we'll jump into, like, let's, let's look at the first one in Matthew. Sorry, I'm bouncing back and forth here. So Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do we think that idea of poor in spirit means, and what is the kingdom of heaven? We talked about it a little bit last week, but we need to understand, we need to have some type of definition of what is the kingdom of heaven. So let's answer that first. What do you guys think? What is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is referring to?
4: What he's saying is that, like, you know, basically the whole like don't stir your churches up on earth because you know there's there's more to come, and you know that if, if you're going to to be indul- indulging yourself here on this earth, and that's going to be your mindset, then that's where your life's going to be because there's there's greater things than what this earth has to offer. That's what I think.
0: Okay, so some idea of heaven, it's more than this earth. Okay, what else? Because remember, Jesus in 4, what is it, 417, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of his heaven is near. And here he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. There's an is, it's a present verb. That verb tense is here, so, so is heaven here? I see a lot of issues, you know, in, in the world, in society, and a lot of death, you know, what do we think? Is the, is, is the kingdom of heaven here? Is it near? What is it? What is this nearness? What is this heaven that's here somehow? I mean, we can even back up just what is the definition, what is the kingdom of heaven? I mean, we can, what you guys think? He's referring to himself. He's referring to himself, okay? Yeah. Um, Jesus is a uh, son
5: of God, and God uh, is the master of the uh, kingdom of, of heaven. He is now um, from.
0: Okay, great. I think between the two of those responses, I think we have somewhat of a working definition. There's this idea that the kingdom is present in Christ, in his very coming. Christ brought the kingdom of God in some way. And yet there is this tension in the fact that, yes, we see people dying, we see people uh, suffering horrendous diseases, you know, we can list off all the issues in the world. And so there's, there's this fullness that isn't here. And so God brings, the, Jesus brings the kingdom, and yet it is not fully consummated. So this idea, I do think this idea of the kingdom of heaven is heaven crashing down onto earth. I do think it's present and yet it is not complete. There is a future sense to it and there is a present to it as well.
4: I actually have a harder time with the, the bottom side of the verses where it says, What do you guys who are rich and are hungry well fed?
0: So you're jumping over to Luke. Yeah. Right. Okay, so he kinda jumped back over to Luke. So so Ryan jumped over back to Luke because we, we do have to wrestle with this tension is Luke, like I said, kind of takes this real social gospel and he puts certain amount of woes afterwards. Um, and he woes the rich, which by the way, everyone in this room, I would define you as rich at, w- along with myself. Um, you've already received comfort. You are well fed. You laugh now. Um, and yeah, So he, so he kind of gives these really harsh woes. And what do we do with that? What do we do when... You know, I mean, if we look at a world, I'm going to assume that God looks at a perspective of the world from, you know, from a bigger distance. You know, he can see the world as a whole. Where we sit here, and we're middle class Americans, right? I mean, but as far as the world is concerned, that's a huge amount of wealth. I mean, we're in the top, you know, whatever percent, 5 10%, whatever you want to get down to the specifics. We are rich, okay? So those woes would definitely be applying to us, and what do we do with that? I don't agree. Okay, why?
3: I think it has to do with the Pharisees and the religious leaders.
0: Who's he teaching?
3: He's teaching the people. He's talking about them that are poor, them that are hungry, them that weep now because most of the people back then, the religious leaders, the Pharisees were the ones that were wealthy. They're the ones that think that they're inheriting the kingdom but he's saying that they're the ones that really aren't inheriting the kingdom. That he is, is frowning upon them and he is... Uh, exalting the, the poor and the hungry and
0: the okay so you th- so you're saying he was just talking about this the, the Pharisees there I would agree that he may he may be addressing the Pharisees here but something interesting both you know you have in Matthew and we'll get to Luke 2 you have these the first there's nine total blessings here he says blessed is this blessed is this, blessed is this okay um, out of the, only on the ninth one does he shift into blessed are you? The first eight are blessed are they, blessed are those. And it's a very general, they, they seem to be universal blessings, right? And even these here, they have, of course, Jesus said things to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. And yet there seems to be, a, I would argue, that there is a very universal sense to these blesseds. You know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, who are meek. You know, and he goes through each one. So I don't know if we can just sit and say, like, well, he was only woeing the Pharisees here, or he's only blessing those poor on that mountain sign. I mean, is, is that how it works? Good. Now we're back to my first question. What is blessed? <laughs> blessed are those who are poor in spirit.
3: If you take it out of that time, out of that context, what does poor in spirit mean today?
0: Okay. So what do other people think? The, the Pharisees had a certain amount of, they were trying to attain righteousness through works. They had a lot, you know, Jesus condemned, he's very harsh on the Pharisees throughout. Matthew he will be that way throughout all the Gospels. I mean, it's very clear that he was not happy with the conduct of the Pharisees, their arrogance, uh, a, lot of, a lot of issues there. Um, so there's a good merit to that. What does blessed is the poor in spirit mean? Because they receive the kingdom of heaven. That's what they're getting. Because, I mean, there's, there, there's good scholarly debate. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out there right here to kind of help the, the um, conversation, is the fact that there are some commentators who read Matthew and they say there is a spiritualization of Matthew where when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he means literally like that spiritual aspect. And then again in verse 6 where he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because Luke just has hunger. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about you know, the spiritual side of things. You have these spiritual connotations here, right? So some commentators will say, yeah, Matthew is talking about any person who has a poor spirit, who has a, you know, a hurting inner inward spirit towards God. Now, there's other people, other commentators will look at this and say, no, actually, even though he adds in spirit and he adds, you know, in righteousness, he's getting at a psychological understanding of this. And anyone who is literally physically poor will also have a certain amount of, of uh, spiritual poorness because they have no one else to depend on. We love to say, you know, like, I fully depend on God, right? I mean, if I asked that question, everyone in this room who's a Christian would be like, yes, I raise my hand, I fully depend on God with everything. Really? Well, you have a car, you have food, you have a house that you rely on, you have parents, you have a lot of things that we rely on, right? Where maybe there's this dimension to poverty that although we, we may really, I'm not questioning the faith of myself or, or of the people in here, but there is this sense that there are other things that we also Put some certain merit in correct that maybe the poverty don't you know that there's this literal connotation where they have nothing they have nothing when you have a dollar a day and you don't have a shelter does that make you depend on god more so than me and my household yeah right
4: um to a, to a modern standpoint with what we're at with houses and cars and all that stuff um, i think it's a it's a condition of, of where our heart's at As you can put your faith in your bank account but if you realize like hey let's look like this is a blessing from the Lord
1: because the Lord still pours out his blessing on earth you know King David was a king and he was blessed by the Lord you know? and his heart was in the right place okay Phil what's the connection between being poor or poor in spirit and the kingdom of heaven at all if that's the I have no idea
0: good Okay, cause so, so you're not seeing even the correlation of between being poor in spirit and, and the kingdom. All right, great. <laughs> That's a pretty good question. What do people see? I mean, yeah, why does Jesus give the kingdom of heaven to the poor in spirit? Yeah, Joe. The
4: commentary on ours, because I was wondering about the poor in spirit reference, too, kind of um, emphasizes a humility aspect and a fear of God aspect, kind of connected with the blessed are the meek. Like, you don't expect this,
0: but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Okay, great. Yeah, those are great points. Um, okay, so there's this idea that, you know, maybe the, maybe the idea of the connection is that there isn't one, <laughs> that there's a, a humility and God chooses to give what God chooses to give. He gives his kingdom. And this is, like we said, this blessing is from by Jesus' authority. So, you know, like, it's kind of like if, if you're the father in the household, you give your kids the gift, you're choosing that, right? Like there's, there's almost a sense that, you know, <laughs> you're choosing to give what you choose to give, Okay. Any other thoughts on that?
4: Still going back for the 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 hungry and the, and the who's that's still us. Like you know, if unless that's just specifically speaking to the product to the the Pharisees at that point. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like Mario would be like, Lord, I, I didn't choose to be born this way. You know, like I was I was born in a family that had a house that had food. Right. So it's like, and ultimately, like, what am I supposed to do at that
0: point, you know? What, is the, being poor in spirit? No, being well-fed. Uh, being well-fed, and, and like well right, so you're on those woes. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, this, this is some of the tension that we have to deal with in this. I mean, is he really talking about, you know, what do we do with these woes? Because they're here. Um, you know, let's look at, so these first, let's go back to the Matthew text. We'll, we'll hit on that a little bit. So those first four blesseds. You have blessed are the poor in spirit, and they receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. These have, um, they have Old Testament stuff coming into them. So look at the second one. Um, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, this really put, gets pushed back into Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. And it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captains and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. That last phrase, to comfort all who mourn. Many commentators look at this and say, Jesus is speaking right from this. You have this passage also quoted by Jesus in Luke's account, right? He's in the synagogue. He opens up the scroll, and this is what he reads with some slight differences. But this is this idea. And look it. It's the good news to the poor. It's the good news to the brokenhearted, to the captives, who are to people in prison, um, and then ultimately to those who mourn. There's a very literal, like a lot of people argue, there's a very literal connotation going here some people really reject the idea that i can claim to be poor in spirit as matthew is defining here now i don't know if i agree but there is this idea some people are like these are specific blessings for the underside of society for the uh, the, the things that we can't relate to in some ways what do you guys think about it? yeah phil phil doesn't like it again i
1: but i don't agree with the idea that these blessings are just for under like Ryan said, It's like, well, they didn't do anything to be, that. well, maybe some of them did, but, like, for some people, they didn't do anything to be the other side, and so, I mean, God's choosing to give them something just based on their position, and for some of those things, that's fine, hey, those who are, like, hungry, will get food, mm-hmm. but going on the spiritual side, wait, some people who were just sort of born to be poor in spirit, like, all of a sudden, get the kingdom of heaven, or can mm-hmm. become poor in spirit, it just seems for some of these things, it's like, well, wait, why should blessings just go to those people like it's, their life sucks. You know? Okay. I think
2: this is an area where we have to bring in like other texts, maybe because, like, if you read, "Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God." Like, if you just read that literally, right, you would think what he's saying is, "Kingdom of God was set up for people who are poor." Right. That's you could read it that way. You're like, "Hey, blessed are you who are poor because." That's the very purpose of the kingdom is for you, or it belongs to you. But we know that the kingdom of God, like you talked about, is a part now and part later. Mm-hmm. And part later is for the people who believe in it, right? right? So the standard can't be poorness. Right. Whether it's poor in spirit or poor in like, wealth, that can't be the standard right. for getting into heaven. Because later on, he directly explains that the standard is something else. Right or at least it's a more complete statement that he gives, like even if you're just going to
0: read John 3.16. Right. So there are other, yeah, there are clearly other parts of scriptures that are going to diversify, you know, this belief. Like the requirements are grace, God's grace through faith, belief in Christ, right? I mean, those are our basic gospel message. So, yeah, we've got to, it's got to be wider than what's being shown here. Let me
4: say Randy and then I'll come to the right. are more for uh, descriptions of how to get, you know, where your blessings come in, not your salvation.
0: Right, good. So Randy just made a great distinction between blessings and, and salvation. That's, that's a really important distinction, yeah. Like this is not, I, I don't think this is a passage on how do you get salvation, okay? But there is a sense there is a tension here you know i think there are, i i do agree that matthew has some spiritualized aspects right and that we can be poor in spirit that we can be meek people like with humility we can be people who hunger and thirst for god's righteousness through christ we can do those things and we can enter into these blessings i'm not trying to say these four blessings oh they're not for us they're only for them but there is a very literal context that has to be seen here you know i mean i guess uh, i'm hoping that a lot of you have been in third world countries um, at some point, have done mission work, or just been there. But there is a difference. I mean, people, first of all, there's a liberation theology, and I don't agree with all aspects of it, but some people take this absolutely like, these are only for the poor. Now, I don't go to that level at all, like we just discussed, but there is a connotation that that um, is built upon that's very literal. Yeah? Okay.
5: Um, first, first question, like, could we read this in the context of, like, who Jesus talking to, and then maybe draw some modern-day applicants so that we can do both or just absolutely one way. I don't know who can Another thing, um, this version, which I will always agree with, um, New Living Translation says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for them. And if you look, just the common things about all the Gospels, the early church, and who did Jesus minister to? Who did he spend his time with? It was the poor. It was the widows. And... Mm-hmm. Um, there can be some very little, like, I am a missionary kid from Nigeria and I'm half Nigerian. Right. And I've just spent the last seven years and I was born there. And like, trust me, the faith <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there is amazing. I know like, yes, we could be like, we're poor and we can <coughs> God, but the majority of poor people and we're talking poor, like right. living in, we right. do not understand. I don't even understand, I mean, I lived there among them and I don't even understand the poverty because yet I still have connections to the states being a missionary kid the poverty that they're in but yet their faith is like amazing. They totally depend on God for every little thing. And here I am I come to States and I'm depending on my paycheck and whatever else. My parents can't really send my money. But like they depend on God for their next meal, like where they're gonna sleep, everything. So I think like yes, there is a very little aspect to this thing. If you it's common throughout the gospel, it's common um, Throughout
0: the early church, which is the, in the New Testament. Like, God definitely cares for poor. He cares for the poor society. Good. So she, you know, she kind of agrees with that. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to keep wrestling with this. I don't want to sit too much um, on this idea. But I, I would argue there is, there, there's got to be some literal and there's also got to be some spiritual, you know, stuff, theological message that you pull from this as
2: well. Yeah, Jeremy. That's an excellent point. And I think what well, we have to also, we're going to talk about context. Most of the ancient world was poor. So Jesus... Jesus is talking to everyone there, and everyone there is poor. That's that's one of the things. So I don't think Jesus is saying this, and there's like 10 people there, and nine of them are rich, and that one guy's
1: like, "Yes, I'm blessed." Right. (laughs)
2: Like.
0: Right. This is a blessing over a large crowd of poor people. Right.
1: Everyone there is going to be excited. Right. Let me
0: just do this one more. There's one more uh, Old Testament verse that applies to the. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, Psalm thirty-seven, eleven. This is a psalm by David, and I'm sorry I don't give you the context. He says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Actually, sorry, that's the, um, that's the uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so, but there is, and here, like, from the psalm, if you read through it, if you go back to the Psalm 37, David is definitely, again, like Jeremy just said, talking about a very literal poor people here. They want, they're going to inherit the land, meaning Jerusalem, you know, the, the holy land, and enjoying great peace. This is a literal aspect of peace. This isn't a peace that's, like like we said, the kingdom of heaven is now and it's to come. So we don't see full peace here, right? And we are expecting a full, absolute reign of peace from God that we will experience in a very tangible way. Um, and here now, the hope is that some of that is coming down now. Okay, so we're going to transition. These first four kind of speak about more uh, like they can be titled even grace and faith sort of, um, grace and faith type of um, blessings here there is a little bit of a shift in the next few so let me read those uh, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God those three there's a mark in the in an action here there's an action based thing so blessed are the mer- uh, Sorry, blessed are the merciful, so there's an idea of these people actually show mercy, and in return they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, so people who go and actually make peace. And then blessed are blessed are the pure in heart, so the thoughts of the mind, so there's an action here. Okay, so you can almost see a shift from these first four that aren't on an action, they're given something without anything, and then you see a marked difference by by... If you act in a certain way, you are going to receive blessing. This is where I really feel that that this speaks directly into us, absolutely. Because we can most definitely be people who show mercy, people who are pure in heart, and people who are peacemakers. So what does it mean? Mercy seems to be pretty obvious. You know, you show mercy, you don't. Uh, Well, I guess maybe it's not so obvious. What do we think showing mercy is? What's that? Letting stuff slide. Letting stuff slide. That sounds a little. <laughs> I don't know about letting stuff slide. Okay, let's let's try to let's try to hone it. Remember, God is just. It's not a just hey, you kill somebody, no biggie, no biggie, man. We'll get you right back on top of things. Like, I don't I don't think that's exactly it. what oh, what is showing mercy. mercy and
4: forgiveness go hand in hand.
0: Okay, mercy and forgiveness go hand in hand. Okay. If you,
4: you know, like, like king,
0: Good. So it's sometimes called the parable of the unmerciful servant. A king canceled a, guy, a person's huge debt, and he goes and gets, starts beating up on someone who had a small debt that was owed to him, and he was reprimanded by the king. Very good. Um, what's
5: the difference
1: between
0: mercy and grace? What's the difference between mercy and grace? Good. Yeah, Phil. Uh,
1: that mercy is uh, that there's a transgression or something wrong, done. mercy is I agree with Randy letting it slide. And like, or having a debt and just writing it off. Okay. Uh, grace would be hey, you have a debt with someone, I'm going to pay it for you. I know there's some made up church example of the judge, I can't remember exactly what yeah. it was. Yeah, I think, I think the one Phil's trying to think
2: of is mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what, what we don't deserve.
0: Okay, so Randy's definition, I didn't want to criticize, let it slide. There is a sense that mercy is letting it slide. Um, there is a sense of that, but, but that can be very easily misconstrued. That doesn't mean that there aren't punishment at times, even when you, even when you are merciful, there aren't repercussions. There are, it's a tough one, but that, does that clarify your mercy and grace? Okay, what is pure in heart? Like, the pure in heart get to see God. It's interesting because in the Old Testament, God tells Moses that no one can see God. Like, no one can see the face of God, and you, you would die. In his presence, also a new song this morning. We kind of talked about that reference. Like God is so brilliant and so good and so holy that if you were to physically see God here, you would you would die, and so no one can see God. So what does it mean to be pure in heart, and what does it mean to see God?
1: Yeah. Okay, since nobody can see God, nobody's pure in heart. So
0: okay. heart is having a sinful nature or something. Okay. So so so. Uh, Phil over here is going to say, "Well, Jesus, there, we can't even be pure in heart. He's, he's preaching something that's too idealistic. It's not even possible to carry out." Okay, yeah. Well,
5: I guess you could pure in heart with perfection. Okay,
0: so there's got to be this 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 perfection, some something like that. Okay, there- yeah. Keep going, Jeremy.
2: I think it has to do with more with your motives.
0: Good. That's what I wanted to hear.
2: So it's it's not talking about ever being perfect or ever being. Literally pure heart,
0: which which isn't possible because of sin or good. That's a really big one. You know, like we, you know, this group goes to homeless shelter once a month. There are people doing great things in this world. There are people all, on all sides of faith and all sides of everything that will do good things. Jesus here, and we're going to see this through the Sermon on Mount, he calls us to something very, very high. Many people, and I would be one of them, to say an impossible standard, that the kingdom of God, the ethics in the kingdom of God are at such a high level that fully can't be reached. But this purity in heart is do your motives act in line with your actions? When you go and help somebody, what are you thinking about? What is your motive for even helping them? Is it about you? Is it about God? Is it about actually helping them? This is a very hard teaching because there are many times where we can look, I hope, if we look critically at the way, you know, even when we've done a good act, let's say, and we can look at ourselves and say, man, was I doing that because there was a cute girl there where I could score some points with or, you know, what? And and this is honest, right? Like people do good things with bad motives in their heart, and Jesus is calling us to be pure in heart. Just to let us know that, I mean, I think Christian circles are very infamous for a nice big smile, for uh, you know putting on a front that does not line up with our hearts. And I think if we critically look at some of the big issues in the church, that's one of them. Like God calls us to be pure in heart. When we talk about reconciliation, forgiveness, when we talk about these issues, it's very easy to say to someone, "I forgive you," and yet to have bitter, Thoughts and attitudes. How often is there actual reconciliation? You know, what does that look like? I mean, this is deep stuff, and that's why we need to hear this. Um, okay, so bless over the peacemakers. What does it mean to make peace? What does it mean for us to make peace? Who are peacemakers? Those
3: who don't unnecessarily quarrel with other
0: people. Okay, so not unnecessarily quarreling. That's an aspect of making peace. Okay, what does it mean to make peace? We have a lot of governments in this world, right? Are they the only ones that make peace? Do we make peace? Most people from here aren't in Mennonite traditions. There's a lot of pacifists. Doesn't mean you must be a pacifist. Maybe.
2: To be a mediator.
0: A mediator. Good. So someone who comes in and helps to fix things. Okay.
2: Serenity to the chaos in the world. The people around us are supposed to be the lights.
0: Okay. I think there's a tendency, again, I want to look at that, you know, I think there are spiritual aspects of peace, and I think there are very tangible and real physical aspects of peace. Um, You know, like this Psalm 37, they're talking about a literal peace, like between people in a way that, that discusses having conversations when things are wrong, that discusses when people are fighting, it's not good. It's not good that our country is in Iraq. It's not good that things are here. You know, we don't want to fight. Why are people killing? You know, and are we the type of people that increase peace, or are we the type of people that add to the chaos? That's a, a touch of it. Yeah, Phil. He's about to call me crazy.
1: <laughs>
0: good, 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 good. So Old Testament wars, yeah. Yeah,
1: you don't have to about entire peoples. How does that go along with Jesus, saying, the peace rangers?
0: Okay. What do you guys think?
3: No, it doesn't mean peace at all costs. Jesus himself went in the temple, turned over the tables, for the people that were, you know, dealing in the temple. That wasn't peaceful, was it?
0: Did he hurt anybody?
3: It doesn't matter. That wasn't peaceful. Okay. It, it doesn't say don't hurt anybody. It says right. peace. But then he wasn't peaceful. I, 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 you know, you can't just say lie down for everything because we need to be peaceful.
0: That, that's we're gonna, that's we're gonna see some tough teachings in this area. I mean. Jesus is about, we're going to see in a, in a week or two when Jesus says to love your enemy and to turn your cheek, and we're going to have to look at that too. So we're going to only get on an issue of it, but there are many Christian traditions that take this very, 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 very literally <laughs> to the point where, I mean, Mennonites and other uh, pacifists uh, from the Anabaptist tradition, they don't, they don't uh, go into war. They will choose ultimate other service. Um, they, they would argue that Jesus means literally peace. Yeah, Randy. And that you shouldn't ever fight.
2: Like, the world was at peace before the first sin. Like, you know, like Adam and Eve. Ever since they sinned, like, peace has been slowly, like, going away.
0: Great point. That's a really good connection. You took us back to the creation account where before the sin, there is this perfect peace. And maybe being a peacemaker maker is bringing us back towards that peace that was there with God, with Adam and Eve, in full goodness before we fell. Yeah.
4: Uh, yeah, I think that we have to be careful with the way that we use peace. Because I think the way that we look at peace is just like, hey, how's everything going? And the crap out of me, and I'll, you know, everything will be fine. Like, you know, it's like if someone starts to come at me, it's like I gotta, you know, I'm either gonna do something, you know, or like.
0: Does Jesus say to do that? Defend yourself when someone attacks you?
4: Yeah, I think that. Really? Yeah. I think that Okay. If we go out and I go kill someone, he's gonna be righteously mad at me for what I did. He's not gonna be happy with me. He's not gonna be like, oh, peace to you. Jesus loves you. Everything's cool, brother. Like, don't worry. There's going to be corrections if I hurt you as a as a group. There's going to be hey Ryan, you know what? Like I just want to let you know that you hurt me. There's going to be confrontation
0: there. There's confrontation, so but just trying
4: to make trying right. to make things better to get people out of what they think is just like a, a friendly neighborhood
0: <clears throat> Mister Rogers thing, you know? Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I mean J- Ryan brings up a good idea. There's a definite, you know, especially a popular opinion. Jesus is Mister Rogers. You know, he's he's the guy who shakes your hand and uh, you know invites you in. Jesus made people angry. He made them very angry with what he said. But, but the problem, you know, th- we've got to be careful with, because I don't find anywhere Jesus says, well, if somebody comes at you, you hit them back. We have to be careful. I mean, I, I don't know. There's, this piece, you're no, right. No, 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 no. Saying, no, I didn't
4: say that he told me to do that, but I was, it's like, you know, eventually, like, do I just sit there and then, like, okay, you know, you have to react to it.
0: Some people would say you do.